It's all about that value to the customer and figuring out how can we solve the problem the fastest way possible. And then how can we train our technicians to be more like energy engineers? And how can we train our energy engineers to be more like technicians? Hey friends, if you like the Nexus podcast, the best way to continue the learning is to join our community. There are three ways to do that. First, you can join the Nexus Pro membership. It's our global community of smart billing professionals. We have monthly events, paywall deep dive content, and a private chat room, and it's just $35 a month. Second, you can upgrade from the Pro membership to our courses offering. It's headlined by our flagship course, the Smart Building Strategist, and we're building a catalog of courses taught by world-leading experts on each topic under the Smart Buildings umbrella. Third, and finally, our marketplace is how we connect leading vendors with buyers looking for their solutions. The links are below in the show notes, and now let's go on to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Nexus podcast. This is the next episode in our series diving into case studies of real-life, large-scale deployments of smart building technologies. Like I said in the last uh, one of these, these are not marketing fluff stories. We're here to share lessons from leaders that others can put into use in their smart buildings programs. So today we have a story coming out of my home state of Colorado, where Long Technologies is on their journey integrating FDD or fault detection and diagnostics into their third-party service operations. Um, and I have Leslie and Lawrence here. I'm gonna call on you for some self-introductions. Please introduce yourself, starting with Leslie. Hi, I'm Leslie Bu. I'm the analytics and energy manager at Long Building Technologies. And I have been working as an energy engineer and doing a lot of troubleshooting and optimization of HVAC systems throughout my entire uh, 20 plus year career. And I've really focused on building automation systems and uh Scaling what it is that I want to do is where my passion is and why I'm at Long Building Technologies. Awesome. And over to you, Lawrence. I'm Lawrence Trifoletti. I'm the Senior Operations Manager for our Controls Division in Colorado. I've been with Long Building Technologies for uh, 11 years. My background and service goes back closer to 30, with about 20 of that being in the IT world. And so... I have a big passion for customer service and enhancing uh, our customers' ability to empower them to do their jobs. Awesome. So, Lawrence, we're going to start with you. You've been doing service for how many years did you say? 30? It's close to 30. I know it's crazy, but yeah. <laughs> so, Lawrence, not many people that are doing service use FDD and not many of those people that have used FDD have fully integrated into their service operations. Can you talk about why Long uses FDD? What, what are you trying to achieve by using this technology? So I would say the simple answer, and then I could go a little more in detail, but the simple answer is value. We want to enhance the value for our customers, give them something that impacts what they're doing in, in their training, in their uh way they see their building, whether it's comfort, whether it's uh, efficiency, uh, or whether it's maintenance, and how to improve upon that. One of the things I discovered years ago when I first started at Long was that service was much more reactive. So you take a, a checklist, and you go there, and you do kind of a point check in time. And I always found that uh, not as valuable as a proactive approach. And that's what really 
FDD is much more of a proactive, in-depth utilization of your system and give you that analysis and sit down with you as a customer with a custom type of service that's directed towards you. And it's not some cookie cutter thing, which I believe our society does not like these days. Totally. And when you think about the business of service operations, are there, are there some KPIs that you might tell the owner of the company? Like, this is why we uh, implement FDD according to how we make more money or, you know, what, what are the metrics that we might look at this from a business standpoint that FDD helps with? So FDD will help on the health and wellness of their system, but it will give them an efficiency, which can translate to a possible cost savings. In addition to that savings, maybe you save on energy, but maybe you're saving because you're prolonging the life of large, you know, like a rooftop unit. And we all know rooftop units, if you could prolong the life of something that costs six figures, uh, you get a better ROI based off that type of stuff. It also gives you increase uh, for comfort for your tenants. So if your tenants are not calling you and you need less people to maintain that building because we are working with this elaborate system and they're not getting as many cold calls or hot calls, A, you've increased satisfaction of your customer, but B, you've also saved some money on, on the back end of not having people running around like chickens with their heads cut off and have to add additional people uh, for that. So there's savings. It's not necessarily, okay, it's dollar to dollar. Certainly there is on the energy savings uh, potential, but uh, maintenance and support of your system uh, comes across pretty nicely that way. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a great. From the owner's perspective, what about from Long's perspective? What, what does your boss think in terms of why you guys use FDD? So it's it's a differentiator for, from our other competition. So I would say that's one of the one of the data points that my boss looks at. It gives us the ability to uh, uh, better analyze the customer and and get more pull through work, and enhance our revenue from that perspective as well. In addition, as we're increasing value with the customer, our bosses and our company certainly supports. Uh, to do that because it keeps your customers longer term. One of the things we have is we get longer term contracts with uh, FDD versus uh, our traditional, let's just say that's what, you know, the, the old stuff, you know, or maybe it's a two to three year contract versus a three to five year contract. So our bosses uh, smile upon that as we increase value for our, 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 our stockholders as well. Totally. So before we get into the nitty gritty of this, I want to continue with a little bit more context setting, just a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, so first, who's your software vendor that you guys chose? So we chose Clockworks after some extensive search. Cool. And then how many buildings is Clockworks installed in? Currently, we have 53 uh, buildings installed with 25 in process, meaning there's 25 being onboarded. So they've been sold and they're just coming on board in the next you know couple months. And, and roughly how much uh, in terms of square footage is that? Uh, over 5 million, about 5.2 million square footage right now. So pretty large, yeah, pretty large scale deployment at this point. And when did you guys start down this journey? This journey started in the spring of 2018. Uh, we really started with uh, different products. We used as one of those products in iteration, uh, trying to get you know our cost versus uh, value out of it. Wasn't really successful as much. So spring of 2020, uh, we uh, implemented after evaluation of Clockworks really being the best product out there from what we've seen about a dozen products. So, 
And and what do you guys track the results? And if so, how do you track the results? And what what have been the total results that you've seen since since that 2020 deployment? So the result of the sales, um, we really had before Clockworks about three customers. There's different reasons for that, meaning we didn't have someone that was dedicated, such as a Leslie. And in 2021, we were up to 10, and now we're where we are today based off the results there. So having a more elaborate, robust system at our fingertips has shown more value to our customers. We're and some others. It was more of a head scratcher. Are there any sort of energy savings or task completion, any sorts of oh, yeah, uh, yeah. results like that? Yeah, you could, you, you want to throw those out there? Sure. So we track results in a couple different ways for our clients, depending on what it is they're really after. But if you look at the categories provided and really easy to digest in Clockworks, um, we have completed 586 tasks since 2020. Uh, we have realized over $534,000 of savings with those completed tasks. And we currently are tracking that there's still $60,000 a month in avoidable costs. So potential for more savings if we're talking just dollar savings for our clients and for us to set up more tasks and achieve more tasks. However, what we really are tracking, we have a a unique dashboard that we've actually created um, outside of what Clockworks provided, but uh, within their customization and that we're tracking before and after for our service agreements. So 30 days after the service agreement starts, those first 30 days, basically getting a benchmark of where the building's performing from comfort, energy, and uh, maintenance or equipment longevity. And then the most recent 30 days. So we're constantly giving our clients a view of before and after and where where all of those improvements have come. Brilliant. And the reason I wanted to talk to you guys today is because a lot of people have implemented pilots or tried down this road, right? Try to go down this road of implementing FDD or... You can really insert F, like any sort of smart buildings software application into the FDD slot right here. There's a lot of people who have tried to integrate software into operations and have either failed or stalled out. Or it sounds like maybe you guys did that as well with the previous deployments, previous selection of different products. And so I'd love to hear just can you guys talk about going back to the beginning that deployment and change management and it sounds like change of directions journey that you guys that you guys went on i would say you know the most important thing we did so when we started it it was really me and one of my r&d technicians trying to implement and work with the service techs and the salespeople on implementing this so that's more of a half measure and so what we did in uh January of 2020, we hired an energy engineer full-time to focus on developing the product, meaning developing the service, teaching the salespeople, get the technicians up to speed and all that type of stuff. Uh, really looking at that, you know, that's or, that's all they do, okay? Because obviously I have a day job, my R&D person, she had a day job. And so it was, you know, what I would tell people you know, as you can't half measure it, you really have to put some investment time and money, meaning put a person in there to develop the the product, the content, find the right right information. You know, that's how we arrived at Clockworks because he saw the inadequacies of 
with it that we couldn't really figure out how to get anything deeper. And he's the one that uh, did the deep dive with us on getting where we were. So that's how I would say some of that starts. And what were the symptoms of, of not having a full-time person? Like what, what was, how, how did that show up on a day-to-day basis? You know, it starts really with salespeople, right? You have to train the salespeople to understand it. And that was a heavier lift uh, than we originally anticipated. Uh, so lots of questions were asked or were missed or, you know, there was a lot of dependence. And if they don't feel like they can make money off it or understand it, they're not going to sell it. So there's no champion that's full-time on it that they can tap and take to take to demos. Sure, they took my technician or had us to me discuss it or or whatever from that perspective, but that's not the full measure of someone that's 100% supporting uh, the cause, if you will. And I think that's the biggest difference on that. And it sounds like when you brought the full-time person in, they're really, you, you said develop a product and you didn't mean develop a software product. You meant develop an offering that yeah, included offering, FTE yes. that yeah. you could then say, hey, here's this product or widget salesperson that you're selling and then you could go to the service people and say here's exactly what we're doing to implement this product after it gets sold is that kind of what you mean yeah i I misspoke a little bit there it's not so much a product it's not even so much a widget to us it's a service so we're selling something called impact driven service oh and by the way we're using it powered by clockworks so we don't go into a sale saying hey you want to buy clockworks we're going in and say hey we would like to to do a, provide you a service that will do better on efficiency, maintenance, and comfort. You know, we are using this tool to do it, and here's some of the charts and graphs and results oriented we get from it. But that was the biggest lift because salespeople are used to selling widgets. You know, it's easier for them to sell a widget. We're telling them to sell a concept on a, on a value added service, and in the IT world. That seemed to be a little, you know, that's more normal. But in the HVAC world, that that is a much different uh, optic than than they're used to. So I think that was a big lift for it. And having someone dedicated on those types of things, helping the sales content, adding to the statement of work and all that in the pricing tools and all that type of stuff was very important and critical where I couldn't completely do it or my engineer or my technician couldn't completely do it. You know, we can only do half of it, you know, because we're, we're our mind share and that type of stuff. So. So Leslie, then you came on board, take us through the time when you came on board into today, like what does the program look like today? Sure. Yeah. As Lawrence mentioned, um, after them having somebody dedicated and recognizing that it wasn't as easy as just saying, sell it. And here's the service it is we're selling. Um, what happened was we, we did start selling it. Our salespeople started selling it and then there were more questions to be answered and there was more training to refine what it was we were doing. And then we got to the operational side and after even just the the I'll say minor lift of the onboarding support and getting everything up and running, then comes the service, right? The service that it is we're selling and having our salespeople learn how to sell and helping our technicians understand what that service looks like now and how is it different. That was a big lift. And so I came on board, we had about 10 clients um, onboarded, but we were still in the infancy of the service 
uh, life cycle for them. You know, they were three-year agreements. We were maybe six months into some of these agreements, had just got them up and running. And we recognized that the, the technicians also needed a lot of support in the training of using the system, of course. But it wasn't even really looking at and understanding the diagnostics that they needed training on. That's that's part of why we love Clockworks is because it's very readily accessible to um, most people in the industry. And, and so some technicians need a little bit more in-depth training and learning how to read the diagnostics, but a lot of them took to it pretty quickly. Um, with that, though, we had to make sure that we understood how do we actually resolve these issues? How do we track this? And how do we stop thinking of a site visit or logging into a system remotely as some time-based plan and and deliver exactly whatever was sold? Because now we're looking at fault detection and these faults are telling us what's impactful to the client, what's hurting their comfort, what's hurting, you know, what's their energy waste. And so we had to kind of transition from this mindset of, I need to show up on site. This is the day I'm showing up, but I'm just going to do whatever the client said they needed me to do and go through my checklist. And instead, we had to spend a lot more time prepping and discussing the issue and then talking about how we were going to consult the client about what we were recommending they should do based on what the fault detection and diagnostic system informed us of. So once I was on board and started noticing some of the operational challenges and then went back to redo some pricing models based on feedback, right? Based on the data, based on seeing what was working for clients, what was working for our technicians, what were our salespeople selling versus what we thought that they were selling. And we had to take that feedback and revamp a little bit. A couple times now, it's it's a continuous iteration, really. Our technicians were used to doing things a certain way. They were used to consulting with the client in a little different way and were a little bit hesitant to, to step up and say, I know this building, I know what's going on, I can see the fault detection and diagnostics, and it helps me to understand it. And here, let me explain what I think would be really helpful for us to cover for you. And balancing the time that they have on site and the way that they used to do things with this new concept was really challenging. And so instead of having technicians say, yes, I'm really excited for this new challenge and I can grow in my career, we had some that were really frustrated with the large change. They felt like a lot of it was kind of put onto their their back and they were having to manage all of these new processes and new communication and some didn't feel comfortable with it. And others um, feel like, you know, they're already doing a really good job and they are. But they're used to having to do it all mentally and troubleshoot everything from what they're seeing instead of actually using this tool. And while there is a learning curve, slight learning curve to learning how to understand the tool to get you there faster and to make you more efficient, they saw it as kind of a hindrance or just another tool instead of the tool that should be leading our discussions. That was the thing is like, you know, they saw it as a tool versus it being the center of the universe to get the information and to do it. The paradigm shift and the change, it's it's hard for people. And I think technicians who are a little more conservative in what they do and used to the way things are done, as Leslie stated, uh, 
they got they knew they know the customers back of their hand and they love this or that or the other thing is it's hard it, it, you know we have to sell that to the technician to understand of the value we're bringing to the customer doing this versus the the current state of what you're doing that was i think a little bit of a surprise on um, that being a lift i always felt with the salespeople there always be a lift but i didn't realize uh, the technicians were going to be having a harder time with it as well. So, And when you say center of the universe, Lawrence, you, you're saying you want this tool. You, it's not a tool. It's the center of the universe. You're saying you want it to be the place yeah, where they go a, to it's decide. It's not a tool like a screwdriver, it, which is kind of the way they are looked at it a little bit. It's just something in my tool bag. No, this is this is planet Earth. Work off planet Earth, and then you can use your tools around planet Earth to get the information. If I'm going from a sci-fi standpoint here, that's where every, all the information, in-depth information comes from and the analysis and the cost savings and stuff. It's it's not something like, oh, I feel like there's a problem. Let me go look at the at, at clockworks in order to figure out what that problem is. No, you start there. Okay, here's what the trends are showing me. Here's what things are doing. Um, now I take my tools out to deal with it and add the value to the service. That's a backwards thought process to some of them. Mm-hmm. Some embraced it quicker than others, but you know they're so used to having lists and checklists to go check A, B, and C, where you know they get used to that. It's just like anybody else. It's a human nature to be. You get a habit, you like it, and you're comfortable with it. We're just comfort. We're putting them in an uncomfortable position. So much so that we have completely revamped what we originally thought was to train them, make them comfortable, and they're going to be this consultant for the customer, and they're going to know how to utilize this and fix it. And they came back and said, we really need support. We need more of the analytics team. We need a little bit more hand-holding or a little bit more like just a list of what to go do and when to go do it. Um, So we've staffed up a little bit differently than we expected so that we could support our technicians better as they become more and more accustomed to this over a little bit longer period of time. So now we have three energy engineers working, uh, working for my team. And then we're also adding a new role, which is a data specialist. That's a, like a statistician data analyst role, uh, to really help pull all the information from, from clockworks that is great about the systems and the building automation system and all the HVAC and to pair that with our business systems and understanding our margins and understanding, Uh, how our plans and how our sales process are all fitting in so that we can track this better and ensure we are being more effective and we are being more efficient. And then to determine where we need to provide additional uh, training and support and some validation. So we've staffed up to accommodate the fact that the technicians weren't really ready for this major shift in in this traditional to impact-driven service. Cool. And, and if I can just kind of repeat what you guys are saying back to you and maybe put it in a different you know, use of words for the audience here. The old world is a technician has a checklist and a schedule at which they need to go do that checklist, right? And yes. the, the new world is I have a piece of software and it's going to tell me what the biggest problems are. And so the old world might be, hey, go stroke this valve on a quarterly basis. And the new world is like, the valve's leaking, <laughs> right? Um, or you don't need to stroke the valve because it's Because it's working just fine, right? Yeah. And so what you guys are saying is you were hoping that you have this fleet of technicians out there that were used to going on these site visits all the time. 
you were hoping that they would be the primary end users of the software, right? Then they could prioritize their day. They could decide, do I need to go on this site visit or not? But what you're saying is now, instead, maybe as a stopgap, an interim measure, <laughs> you want to get there eventually, but an interim measure is to staff up centrally so that you can then help them decide, um, hey, instead of going on that site visit that you're planning on going on on Monday, why don't you go to this other place because they have this leaking valve or that place you were planning on going, they don't have anything wrong, everything's fine. Is that kind of what the approach is? I think we're somewhere in between that in that we still have some frequency-based service agreements. So we still may be planning to go to that site that day, but mm -hmm. what it is they're going to do when they show up is dependent on the fault detection and diagnostics. And so what you said about our hopes for them to take take that information and determine where they should be spending their time while they're on that site and what they're doing um, is, is the hope, was the hope. We're now in the interim supporting them even more. But I still hope and see the scalability of this is that more technicians are eager to learn and to step up and to become that expert on these systems rather than just being reactive to being scheduled. And there will probably be a place for a blend. And right now we actually have taken, we have um, a few technicians that are more dedicated to these services that are they are actually scheduling themselves and working through some of these lists and some of these commitments based on these scheduled frequency. Whereas some of our other technicians then are being scheduled to do certain tasks that either our analytics team is determining or that some of our lead analytics techs then reassign to technicians that need a little bit more concrete task-based schedule. Yeah, Got so it. we're empowering them. And I think Part of that was scary, but some are embracing it. So it's kind of a hybrid, if you will, kind of, we call them gray techs. <laughs> okay. And so it sounds like they're really, I was about to ask you, what is today's process? But it sounds like they're, depending on the tech and depending on the customer, there might be various shades of gray in the process. Yes. Can you give us an idea of like the average customer? Um, maybe walk through, Leslie, walk through, st here's step one is we have an insight and then how do you get to the action? How does that process work? Yeah, so the today kind of average process that we have is more contractually based and more results-driven, solution-driven. And so what we're doing is we have determined the in-scope items, if you will, are those low-cost and no-cost troubleshooting or optimization you know, set points and dead bands and tooting loops and setting schedules and some of those things that we know we can accomplish quickly and effectively. And then we have the bigger troubleshooting concepts that maybe are things that are kind of outside of our agreement. And we'll sit down with that in mind with the client um, and we'll pull up the the fault detection and diagnostics platform with them. We'll look through the dashboards um, and we'll point out the things that we have been noticing, the big things that we think this client specifically, because we know them, they're going to be most uh, impacted by or the things they're most concerned with. And we'll bring up maybe a, a handful of uh, faults that are happening or opportunities that there might be. And then we'll ask for their feedback about what 
other things they may have noticed that we should look up and see, you know, may not be something that we thought was important to them, but it's really important from a comfort perspective in a certain uh, room or something for them. And so from that discussion, then we basically agree to, let's say, two or three items for them to have us proceed on for our next scheduled visit, which it might be that we're having this discussion the same day, or it might be that in a few days, our technician's going to be dispatched and we want to have an idea of what it is they're going to be working on and what the client really wants. And so from that, we maintain some level of agreement with the customer about which are the tasks that are most important to them. Some clients don't care to partake in that conversation. They say, nope, you're our experts. We trust you. Let us know, you know what you do. And then others that are very involved in that process. And then from there, we determine, well, how much time is really needed? You know, how much time can we estimate that this is going to take for our technician while they're on site? Or some of our site visits are actually uh, not on site. They are remote visits because we can do so much more now remotely with the information we have. We don't have to always dispatch a technician depending on our agreement. And then from there, the technician handles the visit. They have, let's say, three tasks assigned to them uh, through the Clockworks platform. And that may also include some traditional device support tasks from a controls perspective, things that need to be done anyway, like upgrading software uh, to the latest license. And some of those we're tracking along with it. And then after their visit, then there's uh, follow-up from the analytics team as well. Uh, depending on the technician, some some technicians are able to follow up and determine that their solutions uh, really fix the problem. And then sometimes it will be turned back over to our analytics team to verify that what we said we'd do, we actually got done, or do we need to redispatch? You know, do, was there something that we need to go back out for or hop on remotely for to finish that and then close the loop with the customer in time for whatever the next scheduled visit would be. Follow up on on what issues we addressed, I think is critical. And I think it should be emphasized because that's a big difference. You know, when you're doing the traditional checklist, you do it and you move on for the most part. This is, all right, did, we, did what they did work, make it better, worse, or the same? Uh, so we have that follow up and we have tools that can help us uh, check on that follow-up as well. Can you talk a little bit more about how you're tracking those metrics? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just as Lawrence was saying, we're looking at the scores that are directly coming out of Clockworks, and we're looking at over time how those scores change. And so we can track that, you know, we knew about a fault and we initiated a task on a certain day, and then we can track when that task was intended to be completed or or essentially when the technician has said, I've done what I needed to to fix this problem. And so at that completion date, we're looking at these scores and we're seeing, did we actually see the scores uh, improve at that time? Did they improve all the way? Did the faults go completely away? Or did the faults get better, but maybe not completely be resolved? Or did we fix a, let's say, a comfort issue, but cause an energy spike because we've gone too far the other way? And we want to be very diligent and provide that enhanced value for our clients. And so that's really important to us. So through that journey of tracking those things, um, using that data and understanding that data has really helped with our business in that we can see... um, 
We have some clients that have very robust facilities teams and they call on us for some spot maintenance or projects and they didn't really necessarily want service. And so we, in certain cases, sold this as more of a product with very limited support. And one key takeaway that we found was actually that the clients that were servicing, we were able to track that we had results of 76% of the task resolution that we tracked had improvements, uh, meaning it was either all the way fixed or the task was partially fixed. And only 24% of those items had either no change or got slightly worse, or like I said, a trade-off between, Mm -hmm. let's say, comfort and energy. Whereas some of our clients that were utilizing this tool without us, we actually saw a pretty dramatic difference in results where we saw with one particular client, 27% improvement in the task they had completed and 73% of the items that they were completing um, and they had lots of tasks being completed either had no change. So no improvement or they got worse because that was very eye opening for us internally, but also enabled us to have a really good conversation with the client. And we determined together that it probably makes sense to uh, have us provide additional service support. And some of those clients that started out thinking, ah, we can do it ourselves, really found out quickly they could not. (laughs) Okay. So having that, giving that value, and we can provide that value based off that. I think think that's that's kind of a long way for some of our bigger clients because they have, like uh, Leslie mentioned, uh, bigger staff. So they figure they can handle those types of things and those incidents. And they, what they quickly find out is, well, they need, they don't necessarily have the expertise or the, or the ability to garner what's good and what's bad type thing. Yeah. And, and what you guys have done is built up two sep. I see them as two kind of separate processes. One is the analytics team, like you said, Leslie, and the other one is getting the insights from the analytics team into someone's hands that can go actually fix it. And the first one that I just described, I consider that like the super user playbook. Like if there were a playbook, there's a super user playbook. No one's written it yet. Someone should write it, but it's, it's basically like, this person, all their like their only job is to log into the software, and and there and I think about it like, I think I once described it on the podcast as like taking a work order and stuffing it into maintenance people's pockets as they're going out to the building. Like your your job is to integrate into the maintenance folks's jobs so that in, in their day to day lives, so that they don't have to think about how to use the technology or when to use it or really worry about the technology at all. It's basically like you keep doing what you were doing before. And we're just going to feed you insights. The interesting thing about that, though, is that we have some uh, some clients who have really robust facilities teams, and they're able to take a lot of the insights and immediately, you know, resolve problems. When there's broken pieces of equipment or faulty sensors, they know how to get to that and fix that pretty quickly, and they don't need a whole lot of interpretation from from what Clockworks tells them. And that's why we love Clockworks. And so it really is just certain opportunities and and 
it's not so much understanding what's wrong, but understanding how do I fix it? How do I write programming or change the way the whole program works to alleviate these issues or understand that three different things like a a boiler short cycling with a low delta T and then an issue where it's not following the reset that was expected in the sequence of operations tells me, oh, we need to change the way we're doing our hot water reset. Uh, But some of those insights from people who haven't spent their career Mm -hmm. um, understanding how the system hierarchy works together that's a little bit of a tougher lift to actually get the the impact of that. And that's where we're training our technicians. And a lot of our clients don't have maybe that full capability, even though they can use all those quick hitting uh, faults that are obvious, and they can turn that around right away without that, I guess, centralized system as well. Yeah, but it's it's your analytics team that's taking that insight and turning it into action in a way, even though, like you said, the software, if it's a good FTD product, it can give you an action. But you're saying there's maybe even an extra layer here that your team does that it seems like it's really important, even if a customer can go change out a valve or whatever, it's still a little bit of diagnosis that needs to be done sometimes. Yeah, one of one of the added benefits, I guess, is you know, based off the data and the results we get on this, we can actually see for our our, uh, our employees, our technicians, where their weaknesses are and how to shore that up. Something that you get, you know, quantifiable with the you know all technicians, not all, but a lot of them. They they think they know everything and they're going to be the expert of all. But I think metrically, we can see where, okay, you need some a little more training here or a little more help here. Because, again, it's not off a checklist. you got to be a lot more savvy uh, of understanding a little more of the big picture. And I think in the long run, we see our, ourselves having technicians that are much more broad-based uh, because of this. And so that's we see some of the evolution of some of them uh, that are already proceed, you know, uh, growing into that. What do you mean by broad-based? And let me add to that. What do you also mean by the ability to sort of track a technician's effectiveness? How do you do that? So you, well, let's say you talk about the tool. That it's, it's again, if they're making a change and it's X, Y, and Z, or they work with the analytics team, and the analytics team may see X, Y, and Z for something, they may not see that. And we say, okay, well, it's really this. And they can give you a blank stare or something to that effect. Um, But even if they're working on it and they're struggling with it, we can understand that because we're telling them to go deeper and further than they, than they are used to going. And and when I mean broad base, it's like big picture. They have to have a more of a comprehensive understanding of the system, the processes and the, and the controls world has gotten much more elaborate over the years. You know, you got it, you know, IP, the world of IP is in, is involved now. So that and security and controls and everything uh, broad-based in there that can have an effect uh, on what you're doing. Not everybody is was built that way. And so I think we're building a, a, a more well-rounded technician uh, for the customer as well as ourselves so they can do more with less and, and all that type of stuff as well. Brilliant. I was going to jump in and tag off of that in this past year where we've really started looking at operationally how we're succeeding and recognizing that sometimes when we implement a solution, it doesn't actually solve the problem they thought they were trying to solve. And it shows that they don't either understand the root system and how 
the system hierarchy works together and how, you know, running something more helps run something less, which one's more efficient. But really, it's going back to the the data that I was talking about and seeing those score changes after they've implemented it. And so now instead of, you know, a, a service manager or me as the analytics manager or the person approving their timesheet saying, hey, did you did you get these tasks done? And they say, yep, we got the task done. And then we move on to the next thing. Now we're actually looking at it. And it's instead of, let's say, me being the bad guy and saying, you didn't really fix it the way that you probably should have fixed it. Now I can point to the data and say, data shows that you didn't actually fix it. All the same faults are happening. And to this magnitude, it's not just that it's on or off. It's actually really helpful that this uh, platform shows us the magnitude. Like it's just as bad, or you did improve it, but we need to go back and tune that a little bit better because we didn't quite get there. So that's the data that we're using to then inform technicians that that maybe they need some assistance, and maybe we can jump in and help them with the solution. Or uh, we have that foundation to talk about because they can see the scores plain as day in front of them to now say, oh. Yeah, I thought that I was fixing that, but I didn't quite understand the ramifications of what I was doing. Yeah, and this is where it kind of aligns everyone's incentives. Because if I'm a building owner, I didn't really want, I didn't, I wasn't intending to pay people to go check stuff and check stuff off a checklist. You're intending for stuff to get fixed and stuff to get resolved and performance to improve. And so, in a way, that seems like the software is kind of aligning your incentives. It's not that they weren't. You obviously you wanted to do what was best for the client from the begin with, but it aligns sort of everyone's incentives to then allow you to say, as your manager, you're you're not improving, and the data shows you're not improving. Which is the same thing for the building owner: is the performance of the system improving or not? Which is awesome. So. As we kind of close things out here, uh, this has been super insightful. I think we've told a really comprehensive story the way that you guys are interjecting, which is awesome. Let's pretend just to close things out. If if I'm an organization like yours that is following behind you on in your footsteps on this journey, what are a couple of things you would tell them in terms of lessons learned, things you would do differently next time, that kind of thing? Well, have patience, you know. So I would say persistence through the ups and downs. You're going to Take two steps forward, one step back, and all that. If you believe in what you're trying to do, you have to stick with it. And to have a dedicated team to really work with it. You know, it's not a half measure. What you're doing is you're changing the paradigm uh, in what HVAC uh, does. And that does not take uh, half measures. So um, that would be my advice is persistence and and a dedicated team. How about you, Leslie? <laughs> I think he said it all. Honestly, I think I can't imagine people trying to do this without having this full-time position and and now this full team that I have and it's been successful in that we're selling it and successful in that we have clients that are extremely pleased with it. Um, we certainly have the step back every once in a while. A client says, this is what I thought you were selling me. Here's what I'm getting. And we have to rectify it. And we need to make sure that we're in line with what it is we're really after. But that persistence is extremely important. And I'm just glad that we have a team and that Long had the insight. Lawrence had the insight to um, advocate for that and recognize that the only way to move forward and be successful is to dedicate the resources to doing that. 
Yeah. So one last thing, it's an evolutionary process, meaning always be flexible in to change like we did with the technicians and the conditions on the ground of what you're you're running into. You have to be flexible when it comes to that, or you're going to bang your head on the wall a lot. <laughs> yeah. So if we're thinking about the technician piece, how how do you guys plan to solve that in the future? You said that's where you want to get. You want to get to where they're the primary uses of the software. What's the sort of plan, I guess? Well, part of it's natural. I think part of it is as we phase out our traditional, which is something we're doing, this is the norm of what we're doing. And I would say, I, I call it like kind of a seeding process. We have a few technicians that have embraced it, that we're using as the seeds to germinate uh, the rest of the technicians to understand it and have them mentor those technicians and lead by example on that. So it's an evolutionary process uh, when it comes to that. And then continuously, the last thing would be continue to support them and train them and tell them it's okay. You know, you're not doomed. Mm-hmm. I would add to that that we're also looking for non-traditional technicians to add into the mix, right? We're really approaching it from both sides. We want to train up the technicians that we have. We want to hire new technicians that are interested in, maybe they aren't looking for a management role, but they don't necessarily want to do what they've always been doing. And then on the flip side, I told you that I hired three energy engineers they're not functioning as energy engineers. They're functioning as some sort of blend between a technician and an engineer and as and a salesperson because we're talking to the clients, we're analyzing the data, and we need that technical background. But ultimately, sometimes we may be able to implement some of these changes before we even have to dispatch to a technician. So it's all about that value to the customer and figuring out how can we solve the problem the fastest way possible. And then how can we train our technicians to be more like energy engineers? And how can we train our energy engineers to be more like technicians? Awesome. Okay. One last question I have for you guys is around trust. So it seems like you guys, uh, for the most part, have your a lot of your customers trust in terms of you're providing this tool. This tool says what you need to be doing. And you said at the beginning, this is driving more pull-through work. And the ability it's, it has the ability to get and grow your guys' business, which is great. I think a lot of people look at that like, oh, this person's got this analytics tool and it's going to help them prove that they need to do more work for us. I've heard that pushback at least a little bit. So how, how would you recommend people sort of message that with their customer? It probably starts with having their trust to begin with. But yeah. can you kind of talk a little bit about how I think a lot of customers aren't necessarily ready for their service providers to be totally proactive with some of this stuff? Well, I, I guess, and maybe Leslie can elaborate. I feel like if you show value to what you're doing within, without the pull through work, like, you know, on a normal day to day basis, and you're showing, you know, from clockwork from the dashboard of like, okay, here's your potential savings based off X, Y, and Z. Um, here's, here's, you know, all that type of metric, you gain their trust. And then when you come to something that's possibly out of scope, and they're used to some stuff out of scope anyways, they're more rarely uh, have the ability to accept that. And it's trust in our technicians and our team is, is a big part. Yeah, I'd elaborate. Lawrence mentioned what's included and what's excluded. And I mentioned that earlier too. We really did have to define and 
make sure that our technicians and our clients understand what are we including in our service and then what's kind of outside of that. So we are not intending to grow this by just bringing in more more pull-through work. In fact, in a lot of cases, we're selling this to say, you shouldn't have to call us for all of these service calls. We want to proactively find them and resolve them so that you're not constantly having the hot calls and cold calls. So we're including a certain scope. And if we're taking care of those items and then we can prove, right, we can show the results with these, you know, these metrics and say, we have improved uh, these different tasks. And here's how you can see that the scores have gone down. And there's this third party software that's able to actually show that we're doing what we said we we're going to do. That's a huge part of gaining their trust and showing that while we're on site or looking at it remotely, and implementing these solutions, we're really solving the problem. And so if the if a certain customer has so many more problems that are outside of our ability to handle that during our regularly scheduled visits, then they have the opportunity to say, well, I can see how important this is according to the fault detection and diagnostics. So I do want to pay you to come do this. And other times they can say, yeah, I see it's something we can work on, but it's not that big of a deal to me. Let's do it at your next scheduled visit. So like Lawrence said, if we're doing what we said we do during our service agreement, then they we earn their trust to do more outside of the agreement when and if they are ready to do that. And the third-party platform then proves to them that we're doing what we said we do or shows us when we're not so that we can rectify the situation. And my one other comment on what you said, what you asked about um, why we're doing this and what this value is. It really is all about scalability more than just more pull-through work. It's about us doing more for the client in the same amount of time or doing the same amount for the client in less amount of time so that we can handle more clients and grow our business and grow our base uh, without just adding more and more people to it totally. and just selling selling hours of time. Right, because technicians and energy engineers aren't exactly growing on trees these yeah, days. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> you know, it takes it, it takes a very long time to get technicians. You know, they're like an oak tree. It takes a while for them to become, you know, a full tree. So it takes a while. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good place to, to end up. I want to thank you both for sort of pulling back the curtain uh, to show us how you're using analytics software and your service operations. So thank you so much. Okay, friends, thank you for listening to this episode. As we continue to grow our global community of changemakers, we need your help. For the next couple of months, we're challenging our listeners to share a link to their favorite Nexus episode on LinkedIn with a short post about why you listen. It would really, really help us out. Make sure to tag us in the post so we can see it. Have a good one.